I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on Sports Great TV. I am Davis Maddock, joined today by Ricky Sanders. This is going to kind of be a news and note show. We're going to start off the top here in our first segment discussing the Mookie Betts contract. But uh, Ricky, you you have you have some strong feelings about uh, about Mookie Betts. Uh, well, it's not so much some strong feelings. We should talk about what the reported deal is first. It's ten years, three hundred and fifty million. And this is after he turned down $300 million with the Red Sox. So you had to assume that if the Dodgers were going to take on his contract, they knew they were paying him at least that. And that got me and friends to talking that, look, Mookie Betts is now by far the richest Mookie on earth, uh, with Mookie Blaylock uh, having some troubles with the law and just obviously having a contract nowhere near that. But then I asked my friends, I want to ask you the same question. Do you know which band started off touring by the name of Mookie Blaylock before they changed their name? I don't even know when the actual Mookie Blaylock played. <laughs> so I'm at a, I'm at a, I'm at a big disadvantage here. Give me, give me an era, guess. Give me a time frame. So '90s to you could argue still, but I would say '90s to the 2010s. And the reason that this is in play is because their band potentially could be as rich as. Mookie Betts, which is why this is the conversation. 90s to I don't I'm like I I don't even like 90s like soft rock, so I'm so bad at this. I'm gonna guess Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind is not the correct answer. Pearl Jam is the correct answer. The first time they went touring was as the band name Mookie Blaylock, and just a few tidbits about that. Randy Johnson was at their first ever concert. Their first ever concert. In Seattle, some members of Soundgarden were there as well. And for all you Pearl Jam fans, which I didn't know until I was reading this, their first album, 10, was named after Mookie Blaylock, which I love that album. I had I had no idea that was the context. But we were just discussing then, was Eddie Vedder technically the most uh, profitable Mookie of all time? And I think this probably still puts Mookie bets over him. But I just wanted to give you that little bit of trivia. Because I, man, I, I don't know. know I bet I bet Pearl Jam has made more than three hundred and fifty million dollars. Now maybe maybe Eddie Vedder has not seen all of that, but I would I would imagine <laughs> the total profits for the career of of Pearl Jam exceeds three hundred and fifty million. They have like thirty five 
live albums that might even be selling it short they're one of those bands that just like every time they played sold an album so they probably are up there in terms of like close to grossing towards a billion as a band yeah uh i was you know i'm more of a nirvana guy i honestly i (laughs) i really have not listened to much pearl jam in my life that's a that's a blind spot for me so i never i never was going to get that right but i mean one of the things we should talk about is if the difference was $50 million over 10 years to what was eventually agreed upon, how does Boston not pay him? I mean, for, for a Major League Baseball team, $50 million is, that's like two Mike Mustakases over a decade. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, how is how is Boston, which is a legitimately terrible team now, I mean, this, this Boston team that is going to be playing in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season is egregious and maybe maybe you know we know the red sox are an analytically inclined organization maybe they took stock of their their roster their prospects how much money they plan to generate and they were just like look you know this this contract actually is going to be an albatross because we are uh we are not going to be we're not going to win anything well two things one you're paying mookie Betts till he's 37 years old and we've seen with like the pujols contract that once you get to the mid 30s it starts to become a nuisance but the real reason i think that they made the deal was because of david price's contract they were able to take off the books if you remember that i'm looking at the price contract right now he makes 32 million a year until 2023 so the fact that they were able to ship him off, he, they basically said that if they're trading Mookie, it's so they can get that price deal off the books. And this was one of the few teams that could afford that. So when you take in the other $90 million, it actually does make a bit of sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the David Price contract definitely matters. But like, let, let's be clear, Mookie Betts is the best non-Mike Trout outfielder in baseball, career-weighted on base average. 377 career isolated slugging 218 is a fantastic defender in right field. I mean, maybe you could argue that right field is like it's a it's a position you want to have a good defender in, but it is not a premium defensive position. So maybe it's it's not that big of a deal. But I, I basically would project him to be one of the best outfielders in baseball for the next three to five years, probably. So I think Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger in that conversation, but Mookie Betts clearly one of the best four. Um, I, I don't know how I even rank those. If you go according to age, Mookie Betts probably second or third there, something like that. But we can agree that that Boston team is now egregious. Did you see their over-under on FanDuel, by the way? 29 and a half wins, basically being projected to be a sub-500 team. And you look at the top of their rotation without David Price, without Chris Sale, I don't know how you don't pound the under here. Uh, I think they're a team that, like, people love because they're, you know, a Boston and a New York or Chicago who always get, you know, juice from the books. How are you going to win 30 games with Nate Eovaldi as your ace and Martin Perez as your starting pitcher two? And then it gets even uglier from there. I think Ryan Weber's lined up to be their starting pitcher three. Uh, yeah, Ryan Weber, Brian Johnson, a guy named Matt Hall, who it, it, is my, <laughs> it is my job to know about professional sports. I play daily fantasy baseball. I, I am all in on this stuff. I have never in my life heard of matt hall and uh, he currently is projected to be their fifth starter and you know it's not like the lineup is as fearsome as it used to be you know because you know jackie bradley jr is now going to get everyday at bats for whatever reason uh michael chavez is not going to be an everyday player for the boston red sox this year so a lot of jose peraza played appearances maybe they get a breakout season from 
Alex Verdugo, but none of that seems, you know, overall super likely. But uh, everyone, we're going to go ahead and head into our first break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to dig into some NFL news and notes and continue that trend for the rest of the show. So see you guys in a few minutes on the other side of break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders. Going to move from MLB News. We discussed the Mookie Betts contract there at the top of the hour. Now we are moving to the NFL. Going to go through some news and notes around the league. Actually, the, the place we should begin with, Rick, is... The NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to COVID-19 testing. You know, this was really the uh, this was the fly in the ointment of, you know, not knowing what the NFL season was going to do. We, we think that probably the NFL was waiting to see what happened with Major League Baseball and the NBA. Those plans aren't really going to be a one to one fit for the NFL because there's so much uh, there's so many more players. There's so much more more staffing involved. But Overall, I mean, I think you have to say good news that there is uh, the framework for testing and, and for player safety. 
Yeah, and I don't want to be that guy who goes into, like, for selfish reasons why we needed this. But for selfish reasons, you and I definitely want the NFL to play uh, for our job purposes because, you know, that's that's a big moneymaker for us. It's a big moneymaker for a lot of people. And it shouldn't only be about money. It should be about the health and safety. And it just made sense that, you know, if these players didn't feel safe, the NFL had to step it up. I mean, how can you play a game where guys are constantly getting tackled, being in piles, uh, and not be 100% sure that the guys on the field don't have COVID-19. Now, I was telling people that, you know, Australia has been playing the National Rugby League, which they don't even have face masks, like, blocking you out, and, you know, scrums are a big part of that. So quite literally, you know, multiple times a series, there will be a pileup of guys, and they've been able to get away with it even in the era of COVID. So I, I wanted people to be optimistic about the NFL but when you were hearing rumors of there not being, you know, anything in place, it was like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm very happy that this has happened. And, and really, like, just, just keep the testing going. We're seeing in the other sports how, like, constant testing has been the answer all along, which we knew. But, yeah, th- thankfully the NFL is starting to figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that there is a plan in place. One of the guys who right now probably doesn't have a job due to the COVID-19 pandemic is Devonta Freeman. Uh, chances are that he would have, you know, had a couple physicals, probably would have went to work out with the team or, uh, you know, with their coaches at some point. And, uh, you know, according to Adam Schefter on Twitter, Freeman hired super agent uh, Drew Rosenhaus, one of the biggest one of the biggest agents in, in all of professional sports, and uh, says he wants uh, a deal, you know, pretty much right now. The exact quote from Drew Rosenhaus, we want to work out a deal in the immediate future, and we are open to any team. He's healthy. He's in shape, and I'm on a mission to give him uh, to give him to a team to have a lift in late July. Unfortunately, Ricky, this is uh, this is a game of musical chairs where there are not enough chairs and uh, and too many musicians. There are I I really you know kind of looking around the NFL, I don't really see a backfield where it makes sense for him to be signing. Like I I, I think that the two names that have been mentioned most often are Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, but you know really. How is is Devonta Freeman better than Boston Scott right now? I, I'm not sure he is. No, I'm not sure he is either. And you and I are in a, a Slack chat together. And the, basically all of our reactions when, when this came out about Devonta Freeman is, quote unquote, who is he going to kill? Obviously not in a literal sense, but like whose value is he going to kill? I don't think he is better than Boston Scott, which just shows you like why he probably is unsigned at this point, considering the money that he's asking for. Looking at other situations, I mean, Tampa Bay could make a fair degree of sense depending on how you feel about Ronald Jones. I know there are a lot of people who are bullish on Ronald Jones' rushing ability out there. But what about a you know reuniting if Raheem Mostert wants a wants out of there as the Tevin Coleman Devontae Freeman duo in the backfield in San Francisco? And it pains me to say, but like, why aren't the Bears interested in him? I mean, is David Montgomery anything special? I love the volume that he's likely going to get. I like the 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 one-two duo with like a power back and Tariq Cohen. But you look behind them, like I would be fine with, you know, Devontae Freeman being the next guy on the depth chart and, you know, potentially eating into some of that Montgomery work if he felt like he was slowing down. But other than that, I don't really see too many situations where I look at it and be like, Devontae Freeman would be a great fit there. Even Washington, I think he would just be like another guy in that backfield. All right, here's here's one. And uh, this is a this is uh this would be kind of brutal for 
value. But what about Carolina? Their their backup running back situation is Reggie Bonifon, Mike Davis, who got cut from the Chicago Bears last year, and uh, undrafted free agent running back from Minnesota, Rodney Smith, and then Jordan Scarlett, who right now uh, actually is dealing with uh, an injury. He he was placed on injured reserve with a uh, with a knee injury last year. I don't think that Scarlett. Yeah, he had four rush attempts last year, and that was uh that was it for Jordan Scarlett in the NFL. So you know, I I actually think that Carolina as basically the handcuff to Christian McCaffrey. I actually think that is a a spot that does make a little bit of sense. So that would pain me quite a bit because I did think that Reggie Bonifon looked good in the limited time that he got behind Christian McCaffrey, you know, when, when the game was a blowout or towards the end of the year, when he just got worked towards the end of a game, uh, I thought he looked pretty good. And so I drafted him in basically every best ball that we did, you know, late, but I mean, his best comparable on playerprofiler.com is Sierra Wood. This is not a guy who's special. Basically, his best metric was his birth score at 88th percentile, and everything else was very, very average. So it would hurt me from a fantasy perspective because I did think that if Christian McCaffrey went down this year, you would get like low-end RB1 production out of him just because of the scheme alone and the fact that I think they need the backfield or the backfield to catch passes to make everything work on this team, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, from a skill perspective, I think it can be argued that he's probably better than him where, you know, the question is him versus Boston Scott. I think Boston Scott's a more talented player. Yeah. Uh, Another situation that would make a little bit of sense would be Houston, where their third running back is a fella by the name of Buddy Howell. You would be uh, you would be forgiven for not knowing who that is. Uh, To me, I think the team kind of views Duke Johnson more like a slot wide receiver, especially with the departure of DeAndre Hopkins. You know, it's not like their wide receiver room is full. It's it's the oft injured Will Fuller. They have Kenny Stills. They have Brandon Cook and then Kiki Cutie and Stephen Mitchell Jr., uh, Freeman makes a more makes more sense as a direct like one to one backup for David Johnson as opposed to Duke Johnson. Like they probably want to leave Duke Johnson in his role. And we, I mean, we know we know that Bill O'Brien loves to sign himself some veteran running backs. I could I could easily see Freeman landing in Houston, and that's actually not a stone cold disaster for fantasy because you don't think he will steal the work from David Johnson. He probably is just a handcuff there. Yeah, Bill O'Brien, the anti-moneyball guy, where you're instead of projecting forward, you're looking at the production from back in the day and seeing like, oh, okay, that'll fit in nicely. David Johnson's year twenty, you know, twenty-three year old season. Uh, if we could get anything near that where he is now, you know, that that's how Bill O'Brien thinks. But Buddy Howell, by the way, we've been talking about rock. I thought for a second that was the Weezer song, uh, but that is not. That is Buddy Holly, and. I think he would be a fine guy added to this backfield. David Johnson, we don't know if he's dust. Like, he certainly looked like it last year. So if you want to go, you know, running back by committee just to see which back has anything left between him and and Devontae Freeman, I'm completely fine with that. I don't know how to feel about David Johnson at this point in his career, honestly. All right. And uh, another one that I thought was interesting, Jacksonville. They hate Leonard Fournette, right? All of all of Leonard Fournette's backers inside of that organization are gone. Tom Coughlin is gone. The coaching staff that drafted him is gone. So why? I mean, Devonta Freeman, a better pass catcher than Leonard Fournette, right? A more a more efficient player. That uh, that that one would and that would ruin Fournette's value, right? Fournette would be uh, an eighth round pick if they signed Devonta Freeman. Yeah, I mean. 
Leonard Fournette is a guy who can grind you out some tough yards, and I'm not sure what else you're going to get from him now that Chris Thompson's there. They want to take away some of that passing work from him. Not only do you have Thompson, you have the fact that LaVisca Chenault will be lining up in the backfield. So from a fantasy perspective, I'm already concerned about Leonard Fournette. Uh, He would be someone that I probably wouldn't draft, almost regardless of how far he fell if they signed Devontae Freeman. Yeah, uh, you know, I I think that there is a need for a pass-catching role there as well. You know, that's why they signed Chris Thompson. And their backup running back situation, Reichel Armstead, uh, Devin Ozigbo, you know, these are very replacement-level players. This team is in desperate need of playmakers. And Freeman, when healthy, is, you know, a a pretty good NFL running back. So I could definitely see that uh, as a possibility. But we are going to go ahead and head into our second break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. When we return, we are going to continue running through NFL player news, going to discuss some Antonio Brown tweets, retirement and whatnot. So see you guys on that in just a few minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. In a winner chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. 
Hello everyone and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I am Davis Penick joined by Ricky Sanders as we go around the NFL updating everyone here on Sports Grid on all the important news, notes, and happenings. And uh, Ricky, drama, we're, we're back. Antonio Brown has tweeted that he's done with the game. Uh, personally, I'm not, I'm not buying it. Are you, are you buying this? Yeah, I secretly wonder, I guess not so secretly since we're saying it on this broadcast, but I just did this same sort of thing, and I I wonder if this is what he's doing here. I was buying a mattress literally two weeks ago. I decided that my queen-size bed basically is being taken up by both my fiancé and my dog, and I have nothing left. So we decided we were going to buy a king-size bed. But you go to the mattress store, and they're charging you an arm and a leg so we legitimately weren't, you know, having it. And there were, it just so happened, three furniture stores in the same basically little mall uh, that we said, you know, we're leaving. We're not paying these prices. And we ended up coming back later and getting him to lower the price. I wonder if Antonio Brown's doing the same sort of thing. Like, you guys haven't given me the deal that I wanted. So I'm walking out the mattress store right now. Uh, but I'm still willing to deal with you as I'm walking out or when I walk back in. And I wonder if that's the case here, is that Antonio Brown wanted more money than any of these teams were willing to offer. So he basically says, "Okay, I'm retiring, but he still has his phone on. And if any of these teams call him and give him the number that he's looking for, he probably would unretire and or walk back into the store really quickly. So I wonder if Antonio Brown and my mattress shopping are a little bit similar here. Well, what's um, you know, what is so interesting about this is. I don't really understand why Seattle wants to sign him. Um, You know, Tyler Lockett is pretty much at the peak of his powers. DK Metcalf is, you know, he's not like DK Metcalf is not a super versatile wide receiver. He's not someone you can move around all over, but clearly they're not benching DK Metcalf. They should, as an organization, want to give him more targets and let him grow into that role. I mean, I, I view Antonio Brown as like a, a very bad fit in Seattle, basically. Yeah, a guy who probably wants volume when he gets there. I mean, that's sort of his thing is he wants to be the guy. I just don't know, looking up and down rosters, where he could go and immediately get volume and for it to make sense for the team to win football games, for him to get that sort of volume. I agree with you on Seattle that if Antonio Brown were not such a head case and he were willing to just kind of fit in and be the guy who could take on his role, I think similar to what Rob Gronkowski is going to do with uh, with Tampa Bay, it's just he's willing to be like the third wheel there. If Antonio Brown's personality allowed him to do such things, I think it would be really interesting with Russell Wilson, who's one of the most underrated quarterbacks, potentially in NFL history with how he's thought of, uh, just because of some you know playoff basically things that were out of his control. Uh, And I think he would be a good number three here. You would have Tyler Lockett as the guy to stretch the field. You have DK Metcalf as a big receiver, and you would have Antonio Brown as your possession guy. I think that would work incredibly well for Russell Wilson. It's just a matter of the personality fit, and because there isn't a personality fit, I don't think it could work. Um, I mean, now, it is it is worth noting, Seattle does love to bring in dusty old vets, right? That is, like, their number one thing, right? Uh, trade for Jimmy Graham. Uh, trade for Percy Harvin. Bring back Marshawn Lynch after he's been on the couch for 
two seasons. I mean, it, it really is. Pete Carroll loves veterans. Pete Carroll loves to, uh, you know, Pete Carroll loves to do this. So I think that from that sense, like they have no problem making a 32 year old Antonio Brown, a key cog of their offense. I just think like, you know, if, if you overall believe that, uh, that like targets are an indicator of quality, I mean, I, I just think that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are so much more likely to get out there and earn those targets. Where where else do you think, like, if if you were to come back off the couch, who do you think, like, a surprise team could be? I always include my Bears and things just because I don't think they're talented at well, very well, many Well, they spots. love vets, too. The Bears exactly. love vets. Exactly. I mean, Ted Ginn Jr., if you'll bring him in, why not Antonio Brown? Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm looking up and down rosters and I don't see very many places I, where like, I, one or I two have moves. one, I have one where he could walk into 150 targets and I, and I, well, we can go through some more teams, but I think that it is Washington. Uh, and we, we saw a couple videos last or maybe two weeks ago of Dwayne Haskins and Antonio Brown working out, you know, throwing with one another, but you look at the wide receiver depth chart in Washington. So they have McLaurin, then it's Cody Latimer. Antonio Gandy-Golden, Steven Sims, Trey Quinn, you know, maybe Antonio Gibson plays a little bit of slot. Then at tight end, they have Jeremy Sprinkle, Hale Hentages, and Logan Thomas. Uh, and then in terms of pass-catching running back, probably just Antonio Gibson. Not not expecting to see, you know, a wild amount of targets for Darius Geis. Peterson probably gets no targets, uh, you know, t- 10 targets or whatever over the course of the year. So I, I think Antonio Brown could walk into the Washington professional football team and, and get 150 targets right away. The question is, for a guy like Haskins, who basically has been extremely inconsistent with his accuracy is a smaller receiver like Antonio Brown, really a good fit for him. And by the way, how dare you not mention Thaddeus Moss as a target on this? Your boy, boy. your boy. I forgot. I I drafted him everywhere, hoping that he could ascend to the top of that tight end depth chart. But yeah, I mean, I guess you got to give him a second target of any sort of quality. And if Steven Sims jr. Is your alternative, I think Antonio Brown obviously uh, is a guy that I would take a shot on for upside over him, considering just how he torched the NFL in the 2010s. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I, if Antonio Brown signs with Washington, like he, what, where do you where do you think he goes? Where do you think he goes in drafts if he signs with Washington? If he signs with Washington, he's probably a seventh or eighth round receiver. Oh no way. No you think, way. You think he's higher than that? Antonio Brown. Like, and Antonio Brown I, right now not being on a team goes in, like, the 11th round sometimes. Uh, okay, so I guess I'm thinking of Scott Fishbowl, where you had the two quarterbacks and you had, like, a crazy amount. He was going in, like, the 13th to 15th round. Right. If he signs with Washington, which is Dwayne Haskins, who is considered to be one of the lower-end quarterbacks, I think probably seventh round is where I would take him. Uh, I don't think I would be reaching on him for much more than that. I guess he had like eight targets in that one game with Brady. They force-fed him. I don't know if that would be the – yeah, I mean, I I personally then uh, would not end up owning him much if he signed there. If That's where you think he goes. Um, well, there, you know, there are a couple other potential spots. I think San Francisco, especially with the Debo Samuel injury, you know, we think of San Francisco as this really talented, you know, they have weapons everywhere, but these are their day one, you know, week one wide receivers, assuming Debo is not back from their foot injury. Uh, second round draft pick rookie Brandon Ayuk, uh, total flame out Dante Pettis. 
Trent Taylor, who right now is injured, might not be ready by week one, and Jalen Hurd. I believe Max McCaffrey is also technically on the roster, but I mean, that is a that is a bare-bones group of pass catchers. Now, obviously, they have George Kittle, so that, you know, their number one wide receiver is actually their number two pass catcher, but I mean, that is a group, that is a wide receiver group that needs some help, for sure. Yeah, that that is extremely ugly. I haven't I haven't really taken. I've been on Ayuk in most drafts, and I, I've looked at Jalen Hurd, but I haven't taken a moment to step back and just look at the wide receiver room here, and it's pretty brutal. So if there's a team that should be calling Antonio Brown to you know get him out of retirement, and you assume that Brandon Ayuk is probably not ready, you're not going to get a, you know as much minicamp. You're not going to get any preseason this year, so rookies are just going to be in a tougher spot in general. Why would this team not be on the phone with Antonio Brown? Considering all the pieces you have around them, you got a strong defense, you feel really good about your run game, especially if Mostert just ends up staying there, and you just need another receiver. I mean, Antonio Brown should be a guy, even if he's a little bit of you know a personality that might not mesh perfectly with this locker room, you need a receiver. So, so I think you need to be on the phone with him. Another one where I could see a, a clear role for him, but I think there's no chance this organization signs him is Philadelphia. They have, you know, injured Alshon Jeffrey, always injured Deshaun Jackson, though he is not injured yet. J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, Greg Ward, and then Jalen Rager, who, you know, hopefully is ready to play by week one, you know, as uh, as their first round, their first round draft pick. But again, Antonio Brown, he starts in base personnel for Philadelphia and earns, you know, 100 30 targets probably right away, you'd think? Yeah, I don't think there's any chance of it happening. And by the way, Deshaun Jackson mentally injured of his own making very recently, but we won't talk about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you look at this wide receiver core. If Alshon Jeffrey's not going to be healthy, you could use some help. I think Jalen Rager, the, as it's set up, could be the number one scoring you know, rookie receiver, uh, especially if Deshaun Jackson's going to have any blowback from the things he said or if he's going to be injured or there's just like a wide range of potential negative outcomes for Deshaun Jackson before we even get to the positives. You certainly could use another receiver here. They do have Greg Ward, who looked pretty good last year. They did sign Marquise Goodwin off the street as well. So like a guy who, who's quick as well. I forgot about the Marquise Goodwin signing. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, well, I mean, he might have to play snaps for them this year. Oh, no question. If uh, if there's any issues with Deshaun Jackson, you will see plenty of Marquise Goodwin. But yeah, I don't think they would they would call upon him. But looking at these receivers in worst case scenarios, there are some doomsday scenarios for the Eagles receivers, basically other than Jalen Rager. Big time. Yeah, I uh, I definitely agree. I also think one more team that uh, that might make sense is the New York Jets because uh, well. You know, they, I guess they invested in the position with Mims and Perryman this offseason, but I mean, I just I think Antonio Brown clearly makes them a much a much better team. But they probably don't view it that way. They probably are happy with the guys they have in the building. No, I think they're happy with Brashad Perriman, even though you've seen people on Twitter uh, tweet his stats in warm and cold weather. He has not enjoyed the cold weather in a small sample, but I don't know if you're signing Antonio Brown just because you're worried about the temperature of the ball game. I, I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are clearly spots to go. And I think part of the reason why Antonio Brown threatened to retire is, 
Uh, he wants that bag. He he wants to secure the bag when and if he gets signed. He's not coming back to play on the veterans minimum. You know, he would rather hang out on uh, on the couch. But we're going to go ahead and head into another break here on the Daily Roto Hour. When we return, we are going to continue our news and notes NFL discussion. Uh, going to talk some roster limits and a couple other couple other NFL news and notes. So see you guys on the other side of break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're saying right now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on SportsGrid TV, catching everyone up on NFL news and notes here today on the program. We discussed some Devonta Freeman locations where Antonio Brown might sign if, in fact, he does not end up retiring as he threatened via tweet this last weekend. But uh, actually fairly significant fantasy football news in my mind. We got to, we finally got some Sean McVay quotes on uh, what he plans to do with Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Kelly, or Malcolm Brown, and John Kelly. So this is what he said, and it's it's not great. I think it'll just naturally work itself out. I think if you look at the success that San Francisco had last year with that running back by committee approach, what I thought Kyle Shanahan and their players did a great job is, is saying, hey, we're going to have an open-minded approach. We're going to be committed to trying to have some balance, and then we'll go with the hot hand 
Never like to hear that. Or whoever really expresses himself as deserving of the carries. We've got four backs that we all feel like are NFL legitimate starting caliber backs and not feeling like you've got to force carries or touches to any of them. Ricky, I mean, as as someone who likes Cam Akers, and I believe that you are in that bucket with me as well, this is the, and I know he has to say this, but this is the last thing you want to hear. Oh, I don't know if you can see my reaction in real time because I've been focusing on getting ready for the MLB season most of the time. So I've not been able to keep up with these news and notes. But we just had those Scott Fishbowl drafts on Twitter, which are, you know, these basically an industry-wide draft with thousands of teams, et cetera, et cetera, where you draft for a league of 12. And I finally got a Cam Akers share. And I was very excited about it. And this just is painful. Alluding to that San Francisco team, which I guess Raheem Mostert did end up with 14 touchdowns. So let's let's hope he's saying that, you know, Cam Akers is going to be my Raheem Mostert. Uh, but alluding to that backfield where it was kind of a crapshoot and there were multiple guys involved and it was a run-heavy offense where, you know, they were clearly playing the hot hand. We saw that multiple times. I hate this. I hate this so much. I thought Sean McVay was clearly, you know, a, a number one back sort of guy with Todd Gurley. And he still may be, to be quite honest. They may get a look at Cam Akers, and Cam Akers just may have the hot hand for the entire season because he's the best back. But knowing that, you know, Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown still could be part of the plans, this just destroys uh, how I feel about Cam Akers in the sense that, you know, I was – I was on him as a rock-solid fifth-round pick. He's probably going earlier in some leagues that aren't two quarterbacks. So probably like third, fourth-round pick. Uh, if he's the best available, if we're talking like RB21, I was all in on Cam Akers. This this hurts. I mean, volume matters for running backs. It's the reason that David Montgomery is going pretty highly is because we expect him to get a ton of carries, even though we don't love the talent. With Cam Akers, I thought he could get a similar workload and was a much more talented back and was on a in a system that would commit to him and had the opportunity to balance the pass. If this is the case, and we're talking about like 45% of the rushing workload for Cam Akers as opposed to like 65, 70, 75, this really hurts me. This, this hurts. So this is why I don't buy it. So the, one of the guys he mentioned was John Kelly. John Kelly's been on the Rams roster for two years, uh, including some time on the practice squad. He's been active for eight total games. He has 30 total rushes for 83 yards, along of seven yards. Uh, he has three targets over that time frame i i don't buy that sean mcveigh believes that john kelly is his starting running back right i just i don't i i, I think if he thought john kelly was a starting caliber nfl running back he wouldn't have drafted daryl henderson and he really would not have drafted cam Akers the next year right because the rams roster is totally hamstrung by jared goff's contract they have a bunch of dead money for todd Gurley. they're actually still paying part of brandon cook's contract who is now applying his trade for the Houston Texans like this nightmare like they don't have first round picks like it's a total nightmare and they spent a second round pick in back-to-back -back years on running backs on Daryl Henderson and on Cam Akers uh, to go even further John Kelly never even had a 1,000 yard season in college uh, you know played in a backfield with uh, with other NFL players Alvin Kamara and Jalen Hurd and uh, was, was a backup behind those guys so I, I'm not I'm not buying it for John Kelly the other guy that he mentioned is Malcolm Brown, 
who you know uh, folks might remember I really liked as a as a sleeper last year. He scores the two touchdowns in week one. Ricky, I, I thought I was rich, right? I was like Malcolm Brown's gonna be the dude, and uh, man, he he just blew it, right? He he, I mean he blew it. Uh, this is this is actually crazy. So Malcolm Brown. An undrafted free agent at the University of Texas. How long do you think he's been in the NFL? Just if you had to guess. Four years? He's about to enter his sixth year in the NFL. He has been on the Rams for so long. He was drafted and played for the St. Louis Rams. Not the Los Angeles Rams. He was on the (laughs) St. Louis Rams. That was uh, the first team he played for. So he's been in the NFL for five years. He's racked up 197 carries. Uh, last year, when he got his audition as the starter, you know, he was awful against San Francisco. Ended up finally at the end of the year, 69 rushing attempts, uh, 3.7 yards per carry. Was targeted only six times in a in a year where, you know, he started more often and, and played more often than any other year of his career. So basically, those two guys are should not factor in the equation at all, I think. Like, I, I mean, do you do you think either of them are going to come into this at all? I think Malcolm Brown has a much better chance. Look, John Kelly played three offensive snaps last year. Uh, So, yeah, I I don't – when I was saying I'm heartbroken by this, it wasn't because I thought John Kelly legitimately should factor in. It's the fact that we might get a three running back committee, which which I think is believable. I don't know. Malcolm Brown was pretty ugly uh, last year when when given the chance. You mentioned that, like, big first week, but – he was given some opportunities after that. And I remember multiple daily fantasy weeks where Malcolm Brown was the stone chalk. And it was like, we were talking like mid forties in terms of yardage. And that was about it from him. I mean, Malcolm Brown, not, not someone that I think is going to be, you know, the top back, but if you factor him in for like 20% of the rushing market share, he becomes annoying. I think Daryl Henderson is the guy that they probably have the most faith in of the ones who are on the roster now. But you, you think about it. Would they have drafted a second round back if they truly, truly did have that much faith in him? And, you know, the more I think about it, the more this just feels like coach speak because, you know, Cam Akers, very talented back. They had missed Todd Gurley, who was their guy with this similar personnel. I still happen to believe that, you know, even in worst case, we get like a back end RB2 situation from uh, obviously from the new back. And and as he, you know, works in like the second half of the season, that's where you're going to get your reward with Cam Akers. So I'm still drafting him with a, a fair degree of confidence, but, you know, reading the tidbit on him while you're drafting him is going to just make you feel a little bit uneasy, but it's a rookie running back. So of course, you know, there's a, there's a wide range of p- potential outcomes here. Yeah, so this is, I, I think, this is why I don't believe Sean McVay. He, he voted with his pocketbook, right? That's what, that's what we say kind yeah. of in, in the world in general, right? That, uh, that people in general do vote with their pocketbook, right? It takes, it takes money to change anything. And Sean McVay has a very limited number of ways to improve his roster. Uh, you know, that's just the way, that's the way that the Rams have chosen to go about building this team. And in the very limited way that he can build his roster, uh, you know, he he spent that second round pick on Cam Akers a year after spending that pick on Daryl Henderson. And I think I think that uh, that selection is an admission that Daryl Henderson is not going to be a good enough NFL running back. 
Yeah, you're, I think you're probably correct there. Uh, I mean, I'm just on pro football focus looking at the grading from last year. It wasn't great. I mean, wasn't a very good receiver, wasn't a very good pass blocker. He was a decent runner, um, but, you know, clearly not a guy who screams that you need to be giving him all the carries. I think Cam Akers should get every shot to shine. And like I mentioned, I think Cam Akers, quote unquote, having the hot hand throughout the course of the entire season is possible like a Raheem Mostert last year, where maybe the coach did even have intentions of it being a big split. But once you see Cam Akers run the football, it's just going to be like, all right, let's keep giving this guy the football. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of Raheem Mostert, by the way, we got a report from Rap Sheet, Ian Rappaport on Twitter, that uh, Raheem Mostert has spoken to a number of the high-ranking members of the 49ers uh, hierarchy to clear the air and get on the same page moving forward. This is per Ian Rappaport on Twitter. So uh, Mostert set to make $3 million this year, uh, recently requested a trade if they, they couldn't match Tevin Coleman's salary. And uh, basically, I, I think that um, this is like this is Mostert saying like, all right, whatever. You know, I, it's like it's like when you bluff in poker and then you get called or like you, you bluff on the turn and then you get called and then the, the other person checks to you on the river and then you just check back and you're like, all right, I give up. Like, I'm I'm not actually going to go all in in this scenario. Like, that's what happened to Raheem Mostert. He raised on the turn, but he was not willing to go all in and like actually like hold out or do anything. Well, when $3 million is sitting there on the table, uh, you understand why. I mean, it's, it's, it's different for him than it is for, obviously, someone bluffing in poker because you realize you're probably losing the hand. Uh, if he plays the hand as is, if he just checks all the way through, he's got $3 million headed his way. So it's really tough for him to, to lose. And I think it's another you know mattress scenario where he's like, OK, I'm leaving if you guys don't pay me. But he's actually walking back in the door and be like, all right, I'll take the $3 million. And... I mean, it's a good setup for him, you know, for productivity. If they're not going to pay him this year, if he, you know, headlines a, a heavy rushing attack for this 49ers team again, maybe teams do consider paying him. Uh, we see it all the time with running backs. All he needs is like a one to two year contract where he gets a sizable amount and, and that'll make his career. Um, and I, again, I think this offense is set up well for him. He was 5.6 yards per carry last year, 14 receptions, wasn't huge, uh, in you know the passing game but 10 total touchdowns and i i love raheem mostert in this offense i know you've you like haven't been a fan of him but i i think by default he ends up leading them and because they're going to be so run heavy he may not be fun in ppr leagues but like not leagues that don't reward for receptions i still think he's going to be a, a, a fine investment in all formats i know you're not quite as high on him but look at those receivers now i mean without debo samuel like what else is this team going to try and do to win so i like moster a lot as a rusher i think he's a, i think he is a really good runner right you you hand the guy the football you you get him outside the tackles he's like actually he was a better track athlete in college than he was a uh football player he never even got to a thousand rushing yards when he was at uh, when he was at purdue in college which you know i always think is fascinating for an nfl player obviously to have not been a good college player but 
you know, a big part of what the 49ers do is they throw the ball to the running back, right? Because Jimmy Garoppolo is not, they don't want him throwing the ball down the field a ton. So they use their running backs in the passing game a lot, especially in more competitive games, you know, not when they're blowing out the Green Bay Packers or or whatever. So uh, I, I think my concerns with Mostert are, I just don't know if he has that passing game skill set, basically. No, he, I don't think he does. Like I mentioned, 14 receptions in total last year. So... Uh, he's a guy who's going to have to get most of it done on the ground. I just think this is a team that's more committed to the ground than most. So I think the opportunity should be completely fine. Uh, It's never fun to roster back in PPR leagues where you know you're barely ever going to get a reception. But I think he's one of the outliers that you could still consider. Uh, I don't want to call him in the Derrick Henry range, but like two tiers below Derrick Henry in the same thought process. Uh, I mean, if Mostert gets there from a fantasy perspective, he will have done so in a way remarkably similar to what Derrick Henry does, where it's it's pretty much all touchdowns. So everyone, we're going to go ahead and head into our final break here on the Daily Roto Hour. We have a few minutes left on the program when we get back. We are going to discuss the recent report from the Colts offensive coordinator about T.Y. Hilton and how he expects the offense to work in 2020. So we will go ahead and see you guys here on SportsGrid TV on the Daily Roto Hour in just a few minutes on the other side of break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons. Lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dow of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on the search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big pop. It Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball. 
but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our final segment here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Career TV. This has been Davis Maddock and Ricky Sanders covering our last little bit of news and notes here. We got a great quote from the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts about how they expect their offense to work in 2020. Nick Sirianni said about T.Y. Hilton, I expect a great bounce back year for him. He had a lot of injuries. I expect the 2018 version of T.Y. Hilton, if he stays healthy, there's no doubt that this is who the pass offense is going to run through. So uh, in that 2018 season, Hilton recorded 76 receptions, shade over 1,200 receiving yards, and seven receiving touchdowns. Which, by the way, how crazy is it that Andrew Luck is still retired? Just like you kind of forget that that happened, but it was one of the wildest things um, at the time. So Hilton has been a guy, Ricky, for a large part, I have avoided up until this point. But I got to say, the prospect of a healthy T.Y. Hilton just getting that insane target workload again, uh, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued here. Yeah, it's hard to not believe a coach going out and saying something like that. That doesn't feel like a, a, a thing that they need to have coach speak about. And you look at T.Y. Hilton for a one, two, three, four, five, six-year stretch, a guy with at least 109 targets each of those years. And in 2018, he missed two games. He still had 120 targets. So if that's going to be the case, you had been selling me on Paris Campbell. I am not going to lie. A guy who is just a pure speedster, Best comparable, according to Player Profiler, was a Santana Moss. You look at the 40-yard dash, a 4-3-1, uh, an insane speed score. I think it still makes sense for this to be a multi-receiver offense, and I still have some interest in Paris Campbell. But, man, if you're you're telling me that Phillip Rivers is going to walk in here, who has really done great things you know, with the volume to Keenan Allen, and you're going to use him in a similar fashion and just get him you know, the, that, those sort of targets, basically on pace, for like 140, 150, uh, I have interest in him again in fantasy. Now, I've met T.Y. Hilton. He's like half my girth, and I'm taller than he is, and he's 30 years old. So it's hard for me to believe that body hasn't broken down at all. But if you're going to get anyone that many targets, I think you got to have some interest. Yeah, I mean, especially because we have seen T.Y. Hilton do it. He gets to play in that dome that's just a, a perfect, perfect fit for his skill set. And he does. He has very little competition for targets. You know, Jack Doyle and uh, Michael Pittman, a lot of guys who are, are just okay. Uh, so, everyone, that's going to do it for us here today at the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. Uh, thank you very much for watching and listening as we went around the NFL, gave a little bit of Mookie Betts coverage as well. We will uh, continue to go around news and notes and see you guys soon. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Dow of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. 
I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the Deflategate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call him Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big copy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.